Hello everyone, welcome to the Hillfields Church Podcast where we talk about Jesus, how much we love him and what he's doing in our church. Here's this week's message. We pray it blesses you, but most importantly, that it changes you. Check it out. If you've got a Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay, before we um, read this, I'm going to give you a bit of backstory. So get to 1 Kings chapter 19. So previous to this, Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he's challenging the false prophets of Baal um, to a contest of whose God's bigger than whose God, basically, and whose God's real. Basically, Elijah wins, of course, because their God doesn't show up, um, and, and our God does. Anyone ever notice that in life? Yeah? You, you, you're calling out to things and stuff, and you see people go, oh, I'm going to... Look, watch the end. There's no power because there's no power in any false gods. There's only power in the name of Jesus. There's only power in our God. And he always shows up. He always shows up. So he showed up. And, um, and it basically, it's a bit gruesome, but he basically he has them all wiped out at the base of the mountain, slaughters them. Um, and the enemies of God are defeated. And, and he's... He's pretty bold in this. You know, I don't want to go too much into the story. I've shared it before, but he's pretty bold in it. Like, he's strong in it. He's, he's convinced that God's going to show up and that their God isn't going to show up. And he, and he puts a lot of things in place and he mocks as well. There's one time where he's like, look, we'll give him a bit more time. You know, like, because what, what the, the, whole, the whole story is that basically they make an altar and he says, your God, pray to your gods to set fire to this altar. And, they, and he says, do you know what? You can go first. Your gods can go first, you know? So even like he's letting them, and then, and then when it takes a bit of time, he's like, do you think they're on the toilet? That's actually in scripture. That's basically what it means. It's like, do you think they're on the loo? Like, do we wait a little bit longer? This is how bold he is. Not only in the midst of, of an opposition and an enemy, but the fact that he's confident that God's going to show up. And um, anyway, so he does this. All the... All the um, prophets of Baal have slaughtered, killed. And then a woman called Jezebel hears about this and sends a message to Elijah. So here we go, 1 King 19. And Ahab told Jezebel that Eli- what Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judah, and he, sent, and he left his servant there. Okay, so Elijah gets a letter or a text message, an email, a threat, whatever you want to call it. Um, the reason he's, this is happening is, is that the enemy of God had been wiping out all the prophets. So he'd been seeing people that were labeled the same as him being killed. So, and he was the last. He, he, we know this because he keeps telling God he's the last one. And, um, and so, obviously, he's completely, like, freaking out because this threat has come, and he's the last. And actually, the ones before him had, had lost, had, had lost their lives. But he had also just made a, a massive stand for God, hadn't he? 
like massive. If you read it, it's seriously, go back and read it. Go and read chapter 18. But go read it. He is confident in his God, okay? He makes a stand for God. He makes a stand for God. And, um, and yet, he's now been threatened with death. And suddenly that has come upon him as a fearful thing and he's struggling with that. Verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and, and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. So Elijah had done this amazing thing in God's name. And moments later, like days later, he's asking to die. Just kill me now, Lord. Take me now. Maybe some people here have been in a place where suddenly you just don't want to be here anymore. And others can't understand it because they're looking at you going, but you were just full of it. You were so excited. There's so many things going on in your life. How, how did this happen? How have you got to that place? How has this come upon you? Why do you feel like that? And people might not understand that. It doesn't have to be that you don't want to live. It could just be that you're just really low or you just seemed like you were here and now you're not there and people don't understand how you've got from one place to the next. But when we come through battles like Elijah, even though it's victorious, we become vulnerable. And in that moment, I believe there's a window where the enemy can throw a lot at you. And it's not because you're not working with the Lord or doing things in God's name or seeing God move or that you haven't got confidence or faith in the Lord. It's just, it's done now, isn't it? You know, earlier when I was saying, when we were praying, and I was saying, when we're praying, God, fill the church. There's nobody here. Fill the church. Fill the church. God fills the church. You're like, I don't know what to do in my life now. Suddenly, you've, 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 you've got to that point where God's starting to fill the church or lives are starting to change. And suddenly, we might be a bit more vulnerable. And that's where the enemy can come in. Rather than us seek God and say, well, what next, God? What do you want to do next? So it's not, this isn't about just how the enemy or how, how life is hard. There, there is, we'll talk about that too. But it's about us as Christians that we are in battles against the enemy, yeah? Let's get real. Are you, yeah? He's there. He's roaring around seeking who may devour, Yeah. We're in battles with the enemy. We're in battles in life, and we're and a lot of things that happen in life, the enemy can use to try and distract us from the things that God wants us to do. But we will be victorious in those battles if we put the emphasis on Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we didn't go through a battle. So the vulnerability can be there. So his vulnerability hits, and I've spoken about this, about the mind and how the mind can work in a previous, go back and watch that. Okay. But that's sometimes how we can get to those places as Christians. I'm talking about just in the world, I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people that are doing things for Jesus, seeing God do great things. And maybe you see people doing great things for Jesus, and then you see them in a place where they're like, why are they under the broom tree saying, God, take me now, I don't want to be here. When they just actually just led some people to Jesus, or... Or whatever, maybe op ran a ladies' day and it was amazing. And suddenly they're like, "Why are they feeling a bit? They look a bit. Why do I understand? They gave, they poured so much into us. I'm not saying this has happened to Anne, okay? I haven't had a conversation with her, but I'm just saying I know it's real. I know it happens. 
If people do dances or people do stuff, they, they sometimes they put so much emphasis into it because it's a warfare thing as well. It's not just performance. It's doing something for Jesus that's going to defeat the enemy or bring people to a, a realization of who Jesus might be. So we're in battles and we can get vulnerable. So we need to be real in our faith as Christians. This is about, this is a message particularly for Christians that we can get vulnerable in the battles, that we win. And that would be weird because we think that we should be like, oh, we should be really pumped up now because we won. But actually, has anyone had an amazing day out? Anyone gone on holiday, yeah? Yeah, gone on holiday. Anyone feel like you go on holiday, then you travel. Yeah, you travel back, fly back, drive back, and then you feel like you need a holiday. Yeah. You've had an amazing time. It's incredible. It's yeah, it's just that realization. That's when sometimes you think, why do I feel low when I've had such a great high? Sometimes it's because our weather sucks and it could just be that could be simply be the reason. But it can, we can have victorious battles. We can win. We can have great moments and still struggle. And I think this is a window where the enemy works the hardest. Not actually in our defeats. Often our defeats lead us more to Jesus. It's in our wins that we can get complacent. And I think this is what happens with Elijah. Because you can't question his faith, can we? The guy literally chapters before, days before, is my God's bigger than your God and I know it. Do you know what he does with the, the altar? So basically it says, like, let's see if your God can set fire to the altar. And, um, and when it comes to his turn, he says, okay, let's give it my God a turn. He puts water on it to make it harder for it to be ignited. He is so confident in God. We cannot question his faith. And sometimes you might question your faith. Man, why am I feeling like this? Why is this going on? Well, maybe you're vulnerable because you just won a battle. Understanding that. And that's when the enemy can come in. You think, why am I feeling like this? I'm literally moments. I can literally see what God has just done and I know it. Sometimes I'm, I, you know, I work here with people, and um, they'll see God do some great things, and we'll see great things happen. And they'll see me in sometimes in a low state, not often, but sometimes. And they could be like, but Rich, 24 hours ago, you just led someone to Jesus. That's pretty awesome. I'm like, yeah, I know. You know, I just don't know. Why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could talk about you too. You do, you do the same. <laughs> This is like a staff meeting now. Okay. <laughs> staff counseling. So, going back to the battle, the battle was on Mount Carmel. Now, I looked up Mount Carmel because I thought, because I, I love looking up names, because nothing is really in the Bible by accident. Okay. So, when you look up stuff, it's called studying. Okay. And you look it up. And um, you can sort of find out how it was originally written and what words might mean and what kind of stuff. So I thought, oh, Mount Carmel's got to be like battleground. Yeah? That's what I thought. I thought it's going to be battleground. It's going to be something clearly. And I looked it up. I was very disappointed, to be honest. I thought it's going to be blood. It's going to mean something. It means garden, vineyard, orchard. I was like, Lord, how can I turn this into a sermon? You have not helped me out here. The dictionary is not helping me out. The internet is not helping me out. I had a plan. I said, how can there be blood in a garden? 
And he said, in the garden of Gethsemane, there was blood. That garden was also known as, for, as a vineyard. Jesus faced his biggest battle and was probably at his most vulnerable in that garden. It was here that Jesus made the decision for all of us in this garden. This was the make or break moment. He gave God a question, the Father a question. Will you take this cup from me? Is there any way that I don't have to go through what I'm about to go through? Is there any way I don't have to go through the fact that I'm going to have to be separated from the Father? Is there any other way? One of the greatest battles that took place happened in the garden. It's here the enemy would have pushed him hard. But what did he come out saying? Not my will, but your will. In this garden, Jesus sweated blood. On the Mount Carmel known as the garden, at the base of that mountain, the prophets were slaughtered, blood was shed. Jesus swept blood in a garden which is at the base of the Mount of Olives. The reason I feel that like God wants to bring this out today other than it's awesome, because it's the Bible, and God's Bible is awesome, is I believe some of the most painful moments in our lives, some of the most abusive, some of the biggest battles we've had to overcome have happened in the most ordinary and the most beautiful of places. You know, as growing up, I suffered with domestic abuse, grow up with physical, mental abuse. I know what abuse looks like, and yet... It happened in some of the ordinary and everyday places like your bedroom, your living room, the car, the garden. Some of the most ugliest things to have ever happened to you have happened in some of the most beautiful or most normal of places. If you go and look up Mount Carmel, it's covered in green. It's green. It looks great. It looks lush. And yet there was a bloody battle that took place there. You know, if you've come out of um, domestic abuse or you're in a domestic abuse, maybe from being a, um, from your husband or your wife, marriage is meant to be a beautiful thing. How could this possibly happen? And I think this is a good lesson for us to learn. Because I think sometimes we can get duped into thinking this isn't possible, this shouldn't happen, this isn't right. But if we realize and we look at in some of the most beautiful places, some of the most ugliest things happened some of the fiercest and strongest battles took place, then we can stop allowing the accuser, the enemy, the abuser to have a power over us. Because sometimes if you come out of a domestic abuse situation, it's not about domestic abuse today, by the way, but I'm just saying as an example, sometimes what is being said to you is, like, is stuff to make you feel like you're the one that's at fault. But the truth is, 
It's supposed to be beautiful. Marriage is supposed to be amazing. Being a parent is supposed to be amazing. It is amazing. But it can have tough moments in it, can it not? It can be you've got this beautiful thing, and it could be ugly moments. And we could feel like the worst parents in the world because suddenly we think it's all got to be beautiful, it's all got to work well, and maybe we're looking at other people's Instagram and seeing, like, look at their lovely pictures on holiday. Look at them. But you don't see what they had to do to get that picture, the bribery that took place, the sweets and the ice cream that got, you know, the wet amount of wet wipes that were involved. Some of the most beautiful things in our lives or some of the most beautiful places can, we can have some of the most ugly of experiences. Both Elijah and Jesus face battles in the garden. Jesus goes on to do what the Father has called him to do. But actually, so does Elijah. I preached about this before, and, 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 and Elijah does moan and stuff. But actually, I want to show you something that I hadn't really read before. So let's have a look at this, verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and, and by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. That's my kind of angel, the angel of cake. <laughs> I'm going to find that one when I get up there. Um, and the angel of the Lord came back and the second time touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. As far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I've never noticed this before when reading this. I've always just seen it as Elijah having a pity party, as you may have heard from one of the messages, yeah? Um, yeah. Which is true, he does. He, you can see it through his language and his demeanor. He is trying to feel sorry for himself. He is trying to hide. But God meets him and says, let's go on a journey. Let's go for a walk. That was going to be the message title for this, this week was go for a walk. That was what it was going to be called. Uh, changed it. Okay, but I've always just seen it as Elijah having a pity party, and he does, he does do that. But God leads him out of the wilderness from the broom tree. And even the broom tree is actually like, wilderness is desert, yeah, desolate. A broom tree is like a, a big tree that gives you shelter. So even, even in the moments where you put yourself in some of the dumbest places, like the, your own wilderness of your own making, God still puts things in place to protect you. And then he doesn't leave you there. He's not a God that just looks at you and goes, well, you've made your bed. I'll see you later. He, he comes and meets with him and says, look, here's some cake. Yeah? And sometimes that's all we need, just a bit of cake. And, and he, gets, he says, here's some food, here's some cake. You need to, you need to, you need to get your strength up because we've got a 40-day journey. Elijah doesn't turn him down. Elijah eats. And he goes on the journey. So when Jesus says, your will be done, actually Elijah is following the will of God too. God leads Elijah through 40 days and 40 nights journey to arrive at the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Verse 9. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel. um, For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I am the last one, and they're going to take my life. And he said, he just ignores him. Aren't you glad that God sometimes ignores your pity party? <laughs> Lord, you don't know what's going on. He says, I do, but I'm ignoring you. <laughs> Come on. And that's what he says. He says, then he says, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. So Elijah arrives where God wanted him to go. Elijah hides in a cave, but that isn't why God brought him there. Has anyone been on the journey with God? Yeah, listen to God, follow God, yeah? It's okay, you can say yes, it's good. Okay, but sometimes you, on the way, on the journey, you're like, oh, I, I think this is why he's doing it. Has anyone decided what God's going to do when you get there, yeah? Yeah, we, yeah, everyone. Okay, right. And that's what Elijah does. He's like, oh, he's helping me hide. He's helping me hide. He's, he's, he's giving me food. He's giving me a 40 days journey. And he's taking me to a place. And Elijah gets out and he's like, oh, there's a cave. This must be clearly where God wants me to be right now. To hide in a cave 40 days at least away from where Jezebel is. Excellent plan, Lord. And sometimes God takes us on a journey. And he says, get, get your energy. Get your strength. We're going on a journey. We go on a journey with God, and then we're going on the journey to the destination. We're already deciding what the destination is going to look like. We've already decided what God's going to do, how he's going to do it, and, and we've decided that, that what the plan is. So he's walking, but he's like, I'm going to find a lovely cave. I'm going to get the best cave there is in that mountain. I'm on my way. He clearly wants me to hide in that cave. That's what I'm going to do. Clearly, that's why we're there. Let's go, Lord. Thank you for the cake. It's kept me going. That's brilliant. And he gets there. He sits in the cave. He starts making up, you know, putting stuff around. You know, making it look like home. And God says, why are you here? What are you doing in here? And he says, you put, it's because they're trying to kill me. And clearly you want me to hide in the cave, isn't it? And he's like, no, get out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. God brought him there to stand on the mountain. What is this mountain? This is the mountain where God spoke to Moses, where the word was given to God and his people. The word of God was given to his people. That's right. (laughs) This is the mountain of God that represents the word of God. This is God's mountain. This is where God speaks. Has anyone ever heard of a story in the Bible about 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah? Some dude called Jesus heard of him. Yeah? He went through 40 days and 40 nights in a time of temptation with the enemy. At the end of that, Scripture says this. Yeah? It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all and so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, um, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover, recovery of sight for the blind, to set liberty for all those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. We all have times of trial, yeah? And we all have times of temptation, yeah? And we all are in battles or have been in battles or are going through a battle or coming out of a battle. We will see some of the ugliest things happen in our lives, but if we do what Jesus did in the garden and say, not my will, but yours be done. And even in Elijah's case, in the vulnerability and the fears that he had, God came and met him and said, we're going on a journey. We're going to go for a walk. He still didn't choose his pity party over listening to what God was telling him to do. Even though he might have been thinking it was a different plan, he still followed through with honoring God. And said, okay, let's go. So when you're in the moment after coming through a battle, remember, the enemy will come at you when you're most vulnerable. Because even though you may have won, you've put a lot into that victory. And now the threats can come, the temptations, the discouragements. You are vulnerable and it hits different, you know? Has anyone ever been there when you're cool with God? You know, you just know that you're cool with God and someone says something, you're like, you just bump it away with your shoulder. Like in Jesus' name, I'm not even going to look at it. <laughs> yeah? There's those times where you just let things bounce off. Same message comes at you at a time when you're vulnerable and you're like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to leave the church. Is there an island I could buy? I can't buy it because I haven't got any money. That's what can happen is that actually the same threats, the same discouragements, the same temptations, the same things can have more power of you at a time when in the past, maybe not even that long before, you're just like batting them away. You're not even giving them time. You're not even going to look at them. Oh, you're going to touch them. I'm just going to shoulder them away. Yeah? I'm going to touch it. I don't need to touch it. It's not worthy of my time. And then there's other times you're like, tell me more about how bad I am. Tell me. Bring it on. That's humanity, everyone. That's who we are. Hey. <laughs> yeah. God's probably like, what is this? What is going on here? <laughs> like, is this what I made? Is this what I made? Yeah. But we can all be, we can all be encouraged because we will do it. And, we, and, and what I'm even more encouraged by is the word. When we read the word, we see some of the most mightiest men and women of God being used by God. But actually being very vulnerable. And at times we're able to like defeat the enemy. Other times they were defeated by the enemy. And you thought that was an easier battle to win. I don't understand. And that's what confuses us sometimes. Because we're like, I should be able to just do this. I should be able to do this in my sleep. But we've actually allowed ourselves to get vulnerable. We've allowed ourselves to get complacent. And we haven't gone to the right mountain. If we listen, if we learn, if we let God lead us, he's going to lead us to the mountain of God. If we can just take a moment and go on a walk with God. Yeah, go on a walk with God. Because that's what Elijah does. And I love, I just love this moment where God's like, let's go for a walk. I've even given you cake. Let's go. And he goes on a walk. 
But the whole benefit of that walk is for Elijah. It's so that Elijah can get to the place where he's going to hear the word of God. Go for a walk with God. Okay. Going back to uh, Kings. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah goes, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets and the sword. I am alone left and they seek to take my life. He said, you've already told me this. This is where God speaks to him. God speaks to him. Because sometimes we're in the mountain where there's a battle taking place. Yeah? Yeah? There's nothing wrong with that mountain. We have to go to that mountain to fight some battles. But I think what happens is we stay at the base of that mountain or close to that mountain in our vulnerable state. Rather than listening to God, rather than saying to God, your will be done. Rather than allowing God to take you on a walk to get to where you need to go, which is to the word of God. To hear his voice. To to, to, to strengthen again. To be reminded of who you really are in Christ, who he really is. How powerful he is. Because in our vulnerability, suddenly everything becomes like, oh, it's all going to end. It's all going to, like the enemy suddenly found a superpower to destroy Jesus. He suddenly found the secret weapon. He hasn't, and he never will, because there isn't one. Jesus wiped it all out. But we sort of almost think, oh, I think Satan's going to win this one. I think this is it. Somehow we've lost sight of what the word of God says. And sometimes we just need to be getting back to the word. Back to the place where we can hear the voice of God so that we can actually know the truth. So that we can be like, why am I here? Not that God's asking you why you're there. You're like, why am I here? How did I end up in a cave? How did I end up hiding? How did I end up trying to run away? How did I get here? Ah, I let the enemy in. I let the enemy be the louder voice in my life. And God knows that because we are all going to do it. But he comes along even in his pity pie and he says, let's go for a walk. And he leads him to the mountain of God, where the word is given and the word is heard. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint um, Hazel as king of Syria. You shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Melola. Let's go with that. And shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, will kill. So by being where he's supposed to be, he ends up hearing the word of God. And here he is given instruction. And he stops talking about, I'm the last prophet. They're going to kill me. Yeah. That's what happens when you start hearing the word of God. When we actually get ourselves into a place of hearing what God wants to say. This is why I think, if you're like me, you don't read the word when you're in a time of pity party because you already know what it's going to say. 
So you want to sit in your pity pie, but God said, look, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. Because once we start reading the word, we get the truth, don't we? And when we get the truth, it's truth that sometimes we don't even want to hear, which is, come on, get up, let's go. Get up, let's move forward. Come on, let's get to this place so you can hear what I've got to say. So that actually then, you're not talking about all the issues that you thought you had or are all too big. Oh, I'm the last of them. They're all dead. The, the Israelites, they're betraying you, and now I'm paying the price for it. And he stopped saying that because God's given him instruction. And that's what happens when we allow ourselves to switch the mountains. When we allow ourselves to be led by God. Because God led him to Carmel to fight that battle. It's not that that's the wrong mountain. That's the right mountain in season. But if we're not actually traveling from those places where we end up vulnerable to a place where we can hang with God, rest in his presence and hear his word. Then we're going to struggle. And the enemy is going to have fun with us. And we are just going to keep going, yeah, but look at me, look what's going wrong. But when God puts his word in you, your eyes aren't on you anymore. Your eyes are on him. Jesus was the same. He had every temptation, accusation thrown at him. But by the end, he followed the lead of the Holy Spirit and he came out stronger and ready to proclaim who he was to the world. 40 days and 40 nights. Where did it finish? With the word. 40 days and 40 nights with Elijah. Where did it finish? With the word. Jesus in the garden, your will be done. Follows God's plan. Follows God's plan. Thank God he did. <laughs> so what happens to Elijah, yeah? So surely he has a standoff with Jezebel. Because the Bible in it. There's got to be some kind of big battle that takes place. Him versus Jezebel. Yeah? Yeah, there's like this big fight that comes on. He wipes her out. You know, he sends fire from heaven. No. Elijah does as God instructs. He appoints someone to succeed him. And he anoints the kings. And then God takes him up in a chariot to heaven. He doesn't even die. Let alone have someone kill him. Things will come at you in life. Threats. Discouragements. Lies. Let's call it lies. Stuff will come at you. And you will fear it. Because maybe it's articulated well, maybe it's written well, maybe it's said to you well, maybe it's, it's, it's just, a, a, maybe, you've, maybe the person that does it is just really good at being able to say the negative thing about you that you start to believe. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And if we choose to understand that it's a lie, then we can overcome it. But if we understand this even more importantly, some of the things that we fear in life... Because things can generate fear, we will never have to face. So listen to his crying. I'm next to die. He didn't even die. He didn't even face death. Let alone Jezebel. He doesn't even meet Jezebel. He never faces her. So, oh, this woman's sending me a text message. She's going to kill me. Yeah. He never, he never even sees her. And I'm going to die. And he never even dies. And I know it's a bit extreme, but what I'm saying is, 
Sometimes we can give so much power to fear, and it actually will never, ever come to pass. Ever. Has anyone ever feared something, and then it never happened? Yeah. Just stick with Jesus. Just get with him. Because if you hang out with him and you around him, he will just lead you to where you need to be, to hear what you need to hear, to fill you with what you need to feel, to take you from the battleground to the place where you can rest in his presence and hear his word. If you let him lead you rather than you thinking, well, I've won one battle, where's the next one? You know? And God's like, you need to have a rest. You need to calm down just a minute. You're going to trip up. You're, gonna, you're just going to fall on someone's sword. Because that's what we're like. We're like kids. We're adults, but we're kids. Yeah, like, well, look what I did in the name of the Lord. Ha! Who's next? And we trip up. We're like, I don't know how that even happened. God said, because you, didn't, you went and fought a battle I didn't ask you to fight. You weren't ready. You needed more instruction. We need to make sure that we're willing to switch mountains with God. I love this about the grace of our God. I know God's got a plan for Elijah. But even in his doubts, his fears, his mistakes, it wasn't a disqualification for what God was going to do in his life. That's the grace of our God. Even the mistakes that we can make aren't a disqualification for whether he can use you or not. Just get right with God. Put it right with people if you need to. And move into his plan. Don't let anyone try and end you because you messed up. Get right with God. Get right with others. And go again. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Those who operate in fear or breathe fear in others or use fear against you, that spirit is not from God. They might even say Jesus is their Jesus' child or whatever, but if they breed fear, that spirit is not from God. Just like Jezebel with her message, it was created to breed fear. But if we know that fear arises in us and it's not from God, then we can start to just get away with our shoulder. Just bat it away. It's clearly not from God. God is not causing me to want to feel this way. So I don't need it. Bat it away. Does anyone want to know what happened to Jezebel? Yeah? Some people are like, no. So King Jehu, who was anointed by uh, Elijah after he listened to the word of God, yeah? So when he actually got to where God wanted him to be, because he thought he was there to hide in the cave, but God says, no, I'm here to tell you what your next plan and what the next plan is, what the next, next part of the journey is. And he says, go and anoint King Jehu. So he does that. And she's in her palace or whatever, and she sees Jehu, and she says, and she starts mocking him, going, ha, he's going to die, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to destroy him. And Jehu calls on the servants of Jezebel to throw her off the balcony. And they do it. And she ends up splattered on the floor. And then Jehu tramples her with his horse. 
And then Jehu goes and has a meal, because that's the kind of thing you would do, isn't it? And then he's there, and he said, you know what? We should bury her. You know, we should bury her. So he says, go and bury her. The servants go to find her, and she's been pulled apart by dogs, and there's nothing left but some bones. Did Elijah ever have to deal with Jezebel? No. Was part of dealing with Jezebel him getting to the right place so he could anoint the right king to be able to deal with Jezebel? Sometimes we're fighting battles we don't need to fight. And what we need to do is just be where God wants us to be, listen to what God is telling us to do, because actually in just following those instructions, you may never have to face that which has come at you, but you may be part of or be um, involved in helping to anoint, encourage, stir up, deal with, whatever it is, somebody that will handle that in the future. That's why we need to be part of God's plan. God will take care of the enemies. God will take care of, of the, the stuff that's going on around you. God says, let me deal with it. I'll deal with it. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Like, stand. Like, don't, don't try and make it happen. Don't try and make it create it. Stand. You know, um, I was thinking about our journey as a church and how um, in one of the videos we did, we talked about having to stand at the beginning. But this scripture in, in, um, in, in Exodus where it says, Moses says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And I thought about that this week, and I thought, wow, because salvation means something very different to us. We're not being rescued from Egyptians because we're going through the Red Sea. Salvation to me is seeing a person give their life to Jesus. And because we stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And how many have we seen? How many people have come because we stand? How many people could know Jesus because you stand rather than fight battles you're not meant to fight? Just keep standing. Just keep standing. Trust God. Trust God's plan. Because Elijah, if you really look at his plan, it's an amazing plan. God's got this mapped out for Elijah. And Elijah has a vulnerable moment. He hides under a tree. But then God says, let's go for a walk. They go for a walk. He leads him so he can hear the instructions. He follows the instructions. He gets taken up in a chariot. And it is like chapters and chapters and chapters later. That Jezebel is defeated through the plan that God had for Elijah, not through Elijah. We don't need to fight fights that we don't need to fight. Just stand. Stand on the word of God. Stand on Jesus. There's another parallel in the story. After the battle in the garden, Jesus is arrested, murdered, and put in a tomb. After this battle in the garden, Elijah is led to the mountain of God and hides in a cave. But you can't keep Jesus in his cave. You can't keep Jesus in his cave. And actually, the enemy can't keep you in your cave either. If you just listen to God like Elijah did, say, come out of the cave and stand on the word. Come out of the cave and stand on the mountain of God. The only person keeping you in the cave is you. Grave couldn't hold Jesus. Jesus comes out of the grave. Elijah comes out of the cave. And Elijah stands on the word of God. And Jesus is the word of God. Jesus comes out to the tomb, comes out of the tomb. And the first voice is a still, small voice of a gardener, or what they think is a gardener. Of Jesus talking to Mary. 
you come out of the cave, you will hear God. You will hear God. Sit in it. Be in your pity party. The enemy's going to have fun with you. But stand on the word. God is saying, let's take a walk. Let's go. Let's go. Let me just give you a little bit of insight to how the enemy works and how God works against the enemy. At the Last Supper, there was a moment where Satan enters Judas. Okay, it says he's possessed by Satan. Satan uses this time to get Jesus arrested. Satan thinks he's winning by destroying Jesus. He uses Judas and gets involved in getting Jesus arrested. But as the moments unfold and Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross, there's a rule that's about to be broken. And scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of God. It says that the wages of sin is death. If we look at the story of Jezebel, it's her own people that end up destroying her. This is the lesson to learn. If you can just stand and you can trust on God's path, he will take care of things. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Because God really is in control. No matter how loud the enemy can get, God is in control. Even when things look like they're going wrong. But if we trust him, he will take care of it. He really does know how to take care of things. Just go for a walk with God. So Satan, who thinks he's winning, and Jezebel, who thinks she is winning, are actually in the plan of God. Yeah? This is the crazy thing. Satan thinks he's like separate to God, but God's like, no, you're in my plan. Like, I'm going to use you, and you're going to be defeated. But all the while, you're going to think you're about to win. This is what Jezebel thought. And this is what Satan thought. So Satan gets Jesus to the cross. He thinks death is the end for Jesus and that he wins. But he ends up destroying himself. Just like Jezebel. Jesus is crucified and dies. But death is only a wage that can be paid to those who have sinned. And Jesus did not sin. His life wasn't allowed to be taken. Satan thought death was the end. But for Jesus, death was just the beginning. And it's beginning for us too. It ended his reign over us, over this world. He still has power over the people that allow him. But in the name of Jesus, if 8 billion people said in the name of Jesus, Satan's rule would be gone. He has no power anymore. But he did it to himself. And this is what the enemy will do. If you let the enemy just follow through with the plan that God has for your life, even though the enemy is going to crop up in there and try and do stuff and drag you down and discourage you and try and, and try and accuse you or whatever it might be, 
If you just trust God, he'll, the enemy will end up stitching himself up. If Jezebel had actually learned about how to treat people, he, she wouldn't have had her servants push her out the window. But she wanted to be an enemy. She wanted to live that life. Judas, don't give him too much credit. People feel sorry for Judas. Judas allowed Satan himself to possess him. You've got to get into a pretty dark place for that to happen. God gave him a choice. He was around Jesus the whole time. He had a choice. He chose Satan. Satan thought he was winning. Oh, I've, got an, I've got a person in the camp. I'm going to possess him. Then I'm going to use that to go and get Jesus to the cross. And if I could just wipe Jesus out, just shut up his mouth, man. He keeps healing people and changing lives. And if I could just get rid of him. But he was not a life Satan was allowed to take. Because it's only the wage of sin, which means you death can happen. So I want to encourage you. The enemy will attack and he ain't going to stop. But if you trust God's plan, you will see the enemy defeated and actually you can actually sometimes stand by and watch while the enemy does it all to himself. If you're hanging with Jesus, you can just watch. Elijah was up. He's like, he's not even there anymore. He's like, because like, do you see that Jezebel, the one that you're crying about? Yeah, you're not even there now. Not anywhere near her. Satan thought he had Jesus. But Satan was always part of God's plan. To get Jesus to the cross. So that we could have eternity. That we could be saved that we could be transformed.